Hello, and welcome to the Read This, <clears throat> Watch That podcast. I am Anthony. I'm Dale. How you doing today? I am doing well. It's a beautiful afternoon, a little bit chilly. I'm eating an orange and chocolate this morning, so I'm very happy. Okay. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Um, what are we talking about today, Dale? What's the... Mm-hmm. Looks like we're doing a little... some going to delve dip our toes into japanese literature dip our toes in sure and uh also go uh where we have not yet gone before into the world of hp lovecrafts all right so the first uh the first story you picked and it's yes. by a japanese author named all right here we go ryunao suke this is the first name and ukatagwa Ukatagawa, I'm sorry. Ukatagawa is the last name. I knew I was going to butcher that. Um, n- not out of any disrespect, just because um, I actually looked up, I had to look up the phonetic pronunciation. Oh, yeah, I looked it up. So it looks like it's Ryunao Suke is the first name, and the last name would be Ukata- Ukatagawa. And he was a Japanese. Sh- Looks like primarily short story writer, born March 1st, 1892, died July 24th, 1927. He was active during the, I'll probably butcher this too, the Taisho period, which would have been the emperor before Hirohito. He's considered the father of the Japanese short story. He died by suicide at age 35 by taking Barbital, which... <clears throat> looks like it was a relatively popular sedative back then, which was also used by other people to commit suicide. It was um, used by a lot of Jewish people to avoid the camps. So I'm assuming at the time it was probably available over the counter and no prescription was necessary. How did you, um, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I really have no interest in Japanese literature, so I know very little. How'd you stumble across this author who, who's fairly, I mean, he's probably for us, probably best known uh, because his short story in a grove is the basis for Kurosawa's Rashomon. Mm -hmm. Um, He took, Apparently, it took kind of the framing story from this author's short story, Rashomon, and then used that as well as um, the short story in a grove about the death of a, of a samurai yeah. and, and, and uh, made Rashomon. But how did you yes. um, stumble across this guy? So um, I've been interested in, in reading Japanese literature on and off since I, um, when I first read um, it was uh, the sailor who fell from grace with the sea by sure. Ishima. Yeah, yes. And um, <laughs> that's, the, since then, that's the one other work I, I know of via, a, uh, via a play. <laughs> oh, is that right? No, good. Yes. Yeah. Not the novel, so, but uh, I saw a play based on the novel. And that's about the gotcha. extent of my, my uh, experience with, with Japanese uh, literature. Yeah. So... Um, I read that, you know, when I was a kid and got into world literature time and then would occasionally come back. And um, 
you know, Japanese uh, culture is uh, unlike a lot of the other cultures, not all, but unlike a lot of them is very, very, very insular um, and kind of inward look. Oh, um, Chinese culture has, was kind of always, or for a long time in Japan was held up as kind of the shine of what a real rich, you know, impressive culture was. So much like, for example, the, you know, early English to France for, for culture, the Japanese look to, to China. Um, but, you know, Japan is kind of famous particularly in its, I'll call it more recent history, but thinking, you know, uh, in terms of hundreds of years. The literature was, you know, kind of came out as very interesting. And of course, World War II had a, um, you know, a very strong impact on, you know, the psyche of the nation, the people of the nation, you know, Mishima's post-World War II writer. Um, and so I've kind of returned to it. More recently, I discovered the uh, uh, contemporary Japanese author Murakami, who I who I really like a lot. He's English author whose name I'll get wrong. The guy who wrote Remains of the Day, and I've decided to kind of explore, um, you know, more modern Japanese literature, and so kind of did some research, kind of found people who you should read, and that's how I came across this author. Um, and the stories and, um, uh, you know, it's interesting, consider one of the early modern authors and the, the modern um, period or the Japanese national uh, period, which maybe arguably you could, you know, say extend or maybe to, you know, the end of World War II. But, um, and um, has a very interesting style national writers there. He really is most famous for, as I understand it, from doing a little bit of research and kind of for his taking of Japanese folktales and kind of retelling them in this with a uh, sensibility modern approach, focusing a lot on structure. Um, uh, in terms of how the story was told. Uh, and so I got a book of uh, some short stories and this was one of them. And I thought it would be a good subject for our, our little podcast here. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. He apparently was really into writing and literature because he not only worked as a correspondent in China for a while, but he, he studied English literature when he was at the Tokyo Imperial University. So mm -hmm. it, this looks like it was kind of a lifelong, a lifelong interest of, of his. And it also looks like um, he became interested in classical Chinese literature from an early age. So uh, you describe the society as insular. Uh, it looks like this guy was reaching out a bit into various other cultures when it came oh, yeah. to came to literature so yeah that's interesting now i know you travel a lot for work uh have you ever been to japan yeah i've been to tokyo twice actually you did okay i i don't know if i recalled that okay and that was yeah. business you didn't get to stay and see too much i take it like you didn't get to see the country like go up to sapporo no. and no i've only been to tokyo one trip i actually had a little bit of time to kind of 
do a little bit more exploring. The other time I went presentations and then had laryngitis and had to do emergency telephone calls back to clients in the U.S. 36 hours. So it was really not fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's such a short flight that it doesn't really matter. You know, yeah, right. you hop on the plane and you're, you're home a day later. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a short story called Hell Screen, which was first published in 1918. It was published in English for the first time in 1948. It is narrated by a relatively uninvolved, although he's got some minor involvement and you know, learns some things through hearsay. I would describe him as a unreliable narrator, but he is a mm. servant of the Lord Horakawa. And that's, uh, you don't really, I don't recall if a year is ever mentioned. I always, I kind of thought this was like during the, the Jap, the, like the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. 1300 1200 1400 in through there that was my impression um mine too and it is about a painter named yoshihida um the lord horikawa yoshihida's daughter yuzuki and so the painter yoshihida is commissioned to paint a screen of the Buddhist hell. Now, we learn everything we learn about what happened through the narrator, mm -hmm. who had been a servant of the Lord for 20 years. And I think as he narrates this, the events occurred a long time ago because there's a point in time where he does state that some people may still recall, you know, the, the yep. greatest painter ever, Yoshihida. So I think, you know, either telling or writing the story, many, many years have passed. So Yoshihide has been commissioned to paint the Buddhist hell on a screen. And simultaneously, his daughter, who's really the only thing he cares about. The painter cares about, yeah. Yeah, the painter cares about is a servant in the house of the Lord. And I'll just start with the opening. I, I, I think the Lord is still alive and the servant still works for him because or else he's the Lord's greatest PR man because it says the Grand Lord Horikawa is the greatest Lord that Japan ever had. Our later generations will never see such a great Lord again. And he's great because he built, he built quite the mansion for himself. He was compared to the Buddha incarnate and at one point in time, an old man was run over by the Lord's bulls. And he, the Lord is such a great man that the old man who was run over by the bulls is grateful. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's his brush with fame. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of the setup. Um, anything you want to add just about the, the general setup, except that I, I was always taught that Buddha's Buddhism was less of a, religion and more of a kind of moral ethical philosophy of life so it kind of surprised me that there'd be a buddhist hell but it it in my limited research it looks like buddhism may have intertwined with some chinese um theology yes at one point and so then you kind of get this idea 
this idea of a Buddhist hell. I read more about it, but I don't want to go into it because at a certain point in time, it started to get way too esoteric for me. Um, but that's very confusing. It, it, I, I have to say, I mean, the, the, all those religions to me are very, they, they don't follow, I think, kind of things that we would recognize necessarily. And there's just no. kind of assumptions about how they work. Um, yeah, it's almost like you have to be born into it or or live in the culture. And I also get the impression that with something like Buddhism, it may vary to one degree or another, depending upon what culture it's it's woven its way into. Oh yeah, so no, I think yes, that's absolutely true. yes. <clears throat> so, so that's kind of the, yeah. that's the general setup. You want to tell us about what yeah, kind uh, of well, um, man well, Yoshihide is? <laughs> <laughs> very charismatic a very charismatic guy but I, I do want to make just one sure. one note about the the setup that it, it is a bit of a trope to have the kind of minor official slash servant um telling a story yes um i've read a couple of other short stories and i'm not going to say it's you know universal by any means but it's something it, it is a um it is a device that um, he used this from time to time to kind of give um, kind of a look into the situation without putting you directly there, right? So you're not only the outside observer because you're reading the story, right? Which you always are when you're reading a story, but you're getting it all as well. And, and so from a person who's not intimately involved with the events right so you are you're getting this kind of twice removed kind of kind of feel to which i think is a i think is a really interesting thing little trope it, it allows for you know your own you know bringing of solutions to raised in the context of the story and doesn't necessarily require one very specific reading behind the psychology of the characters even though they may be you know very you know pointed in very definite directions left to your imagination as it were um so uh i kind of i kind of like that but but yeah yoshihide haida pronounce it is uh an unpleasant guy yeah <laughs> really just focused on his artwork weird but very revered because his artwork is so realistic and real life uh, but he achieves this level of artistry in part because he employs people to be you know um, models for him and um, that plays a very important um, it's a very important in that core of the story because he is he is asked by um right he's asked by the by the the um the lord he's commissioned this. by the lord he's to do a hell screen yes right to 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 do hell which he agrees to do um and he works feverishly and um um but reaches a point where he needs he needs he needs help <laughs> yeah well he's described as this is this is like this is this this description of him is 
well, thin, stunted, sinister, unusually yeah. youthful. And there is also a a monkey in the yes. Lord's house, which they christen Yoshihida. Right. The daughter saves the monkey from abuse, and the monkey becomes yes. uh, very extremely devoted and loyal to her. But yes, he'll um, Yoshihida will do things like, I believe they described one time he's walking along the city street and there had been an accident with dead bodies laying around and he would just stop and, and paint them unaffected yes. by the gruesome scene in front of him. Yes. Um, Charming guy. He, 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 well, yeah, he's also described at another point in time as stingy, harsh, lazy, and greedy. He would do things like uh, commissions work. He would paint maidens but get them the face of a of a harlot right he depicted the god of fire as a villain which i knew nothing about i then therefore i assumed the god of fire is a benevolent a benevolent deity but yoshihida depicts him as a villain he will paint court women and this is this this was there's 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 like two brief hints at something supernatural possibly going on um he would every court woman he used as a model in terms of painting it says they died within three years but that's it that's pick that up yeah that's that's that but that's all they say that's that's it they leave it at that maybe yeah maybe one or two is coincidence It, it was the middle ages and lifespan wasn't that that long but yeah they they the the narrator makes a makes a big deal about that, um, and then he tells one time the Lord, and he and the Lord are on the outs because Yoshihide has asked that his daughter be released from service, and there's all right. sorts of rumors that the the, the daughter is yeah, yeah um, uh, are involved, but that that kind of arrogance displeases the Lord. But one time he says, you know. I don't understand. You're you're such an accomplished artist, um, and, but you paint some really gruesome things. And Yoshihida says something I I, I thought was kind of interesting. He says he's great because he can perceive beauty even in the ugly, unlike right. other the other artists. But he does the one the one area where you know shows his humanity is he does love his daughter. Wants to he see her, her. That never says why he wants to release from service. It never really comes out. I think I it's because it ever... of the rumors. It's, yeah, but it's the rumors. He's he's it's 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 a it's a um what a stain on his honor, I guess. Yes, but but it's never explicitly stated. I don't believe. No, it I think is you're not, supposed to. Was, yeah, that was part of the. That's what I kind of took out of it. Because one would figure is a misreading. Because one would figure back then it would be an honor to have a child serving in the, the Lord's house. So the only the only downside but, I could see is was was the was the rumors, the concubine aspect. Right. He is. Um. He does get the commission for the hell screen. He which depicts, you know, tormented nobles and priests and courtiers and ladies in hell. Also, a carriage falling from the sky, which he wants to paint um, as if it is, you know, engulfed in flame with a court lady inside of of the carriage. 
Now, mm-hmm. in, in in completing, it says so at a certain point in time, he he gets done with about eighty percent of the hell screen, and he does things with his servants. Um, do you remember what he'll do with his his um his apprentices or servants? He's a guy who who is basically saying, "I can't do my best work unless I I paint from life." Right. Right. Do Do you remember a couple of things he did? The I I don't remember. I unfortunately read this a few weeks ago. Yeah, me too. Details if they're they're ref- oh they're okay, so they're not as fresh for you either. But yeah, he does do. I think one of them was. Uh, um, can't remember what it, it was in in a dark in his uh there was the there was the remember that was kind of creepy and i thought was kind of going in a lovecraftian direction but um um and it was just our you know painter being ridiculously obsessed with his artwork leading to create the reality of whatever it was he was painting in order to be able to paint it accurately. So I, I don't remember the details, but it was like late at night and it was dark in his studio and yeah, not, not good stuff. He, he, he has, he, he, he puts his, a servant in chains and pr- trusses him up so we can witness like the over the course of time like the agony that oh, it cost right. like his right. and he just yes. like asks him to do that and does it and just paints it um he has a servant attacked by a bird so he can paint yes that's right that's what that yes. looks yes. like yes yes um yeah so you know one of the problems he had was there just wasn't a lot of people applying um right. to work at his Be studio yeah, yeah and these servants you know even or though they don't die these sir yeah uh, but they had dental, um, <laughs> Good and, and and vision. But these servants don't die, but they are afraid they're going to die, and yes. it's completely absorbed. Which is part of the point. And... I think that's yes. part of the point. Too. Have the the expressions on the people that are correct, right? Because he's got to be able to paint the emotion in the people, right? Yes, and exactly. That's part of the. That's the point, as it were. Yeah. While he's trying to finish the hell screen, there's also a, and I wanted to ask you about this. I, I didn't quite know what to make of it. There's a point in time where the Lord's son abuses the monkey, just is like throwing stuff at it at one point. And, and Yoshihida's daughter comes out and says, well, you know, why are you doing that? Yeah. Basically says, why are you punching down? You're a lord. It's a monkey. And, and shames him. And all the other you know, people kind of take the monkey as a, almost like a, a mascot. And even the lord's privileged son uh, lays off the monkey. And as actually um, instance or two is quite nice to the monkey. The monkey becomes totally devoted to her. But one night uh, the monkey comes out in the hallway and he's finds this narrator servant. And essentially drags the narrator's servant into the into the daughter's chambers, and there's a shadowy figure that kind of leaves the chambers, and she comes out looking like she had been, I think they use the word assaulted. Yes. Um, and they never say it's the Lord. They never say it's anybody. You know, they don't. Yeah. They, that's that's what you learn 
and the monkey acts grateful towards the narrator slash servant. Yeah, but that's all you get. I'm not saying you need to get more. I'm just saying it's interesting that that they they. Then he's well. Some people later on said it was the Lord, but that's insane. That's crazy. It was the greatest Lord ever, and that's all. You know, that's all slanderous material. But they never. That's that's all you get. It's kind of interesting. And that might have to do with, I think, the dynamic of the servant, right? That you're getting this stuff in hand, and you're also getting that, you know, that kind of official deference to the Lord who must be, you know, wonderful and great and all of these things. And so, you know, even though, you know, the servant was right there, saw him come out of the chamber, saw her all, you know, post-assaulted, he still won't admit to it right that that the lord must have been the one if it was well I th- if it was the lord i think it's i don't i don't know i don't know how you read the story really at least it was my impression i won't be able to go back and give yeah but i don't know how you read the story as concluding that it was anybody else well i don't know who else it would be um but you also get the impression that it he says, you know, she was assaulted. But you also, also, you can also read it that she wasn't. It was not unwelcomed. Yeah, I, that's true. There was, there was a degree of ambiguity in that description. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely true. So how does... So how does he finish? So he, he's 80% done. He wants to do this falling carriage ablaze. Um, how does he accomplish that? Yeah, he's got to do, he wants to paint a falling carriage ablaze, a woman inside. Like a court, a courtly yes. woman. So he needs a, he needs a model. He needs to create what, so he needs to create a burning um, carriage with a woman inside says okay i'll do it it's it's a little more ambiguous it's a little <laughs> more i mean because he's such a great guy and, and japan will never see such a great lord again he t- he, he, <laughs> he he approaches he approaches the lord and says you know um you know i paint from life and it's really hard to do all this without an actual model in front of me and i want to do this scene where there's woman inside a carriage and it's fallen from the sky and it's all on fire. So I kind of need you to maybe burn a carriage. And the Lord is like, uh, yeah, I could do that. And then he intimates, he never says it, but then he says, um, well, that really won't complete the screen. Cause I would still need something else. And the Lord is like, I can scrounge something up for you. So he never really says, I also need a woman inside. But he hints right, at it. Right. Yeah, he, he strongly hints at it. The Lord picks up on it. And they do it, right? They they have to yeah. go someplace away from, away from they, they travel away from the mansion. They go to a spot where a carriage is set ablaze. And dun, dun, dun. Yes. <laughs> Who is the maiden in the carriage? This is the surprising yet inevitable Yes. Ending right. The maiden in the carriage, of course, is the daughter. 
the daughter. I kind of thought I saw this coming from a mile away. Um, so I don't know if that's the point so much as Yoshihida's reaction to what he's seen. Yeah. If you recall, I don't, <laughs> which is at first, at first he's appalled. But then as it goes on and on and on, he's seeing what he needs to finish the screen and almost becomes like entranced with what he's watching and kind of digs it (laughs) as the artist part of him. It's like, this is what I needed. Now I can go finish the hell screen. It's really, it's really kind of, I, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't know enough about this, but I'm wondering if it's, this writer's this this is something that makes this writer memorable if it is um kind of something within you know because i read a little bit about japanese literature that you know adds you know the aristotelian model is 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 three acts you know you got the thesis the antithesis and synthesis the japanese model tends to add a a twist or a turn along the way and i don't so i think i can envision the western version of this is all you get is the father's anguish it's not what i meant almost like a twilight zone ending but Mm -hmm. he has him he has him like entranced by all this almost like you know it makes him it's like almost like an orgasmic look on his face that he can finally finish his work of art of course yeah Couple weeks later, he hangs himself once his once yeah. the hell screen is done, but he finishes it. Yes, and that's the purity that's of the a... artist. It's the purity of the artist and the the, the cost, right? That's of, of that right. This is what this author is writing about, correct? I mean, yeah, is what artists what lengths artists will go to devote to their craft to the detriment of their life. Um, what, the, you know, a couple things, I, I, again, I, I don't, I don't like criticizing things that I haven't at least, you know, read a lot about, but one of the, the, the stylistic portion that I don't like in this is basically the form of it because the form you, what do you mean? I I don't. This this reminds me of Sleepy Hollow in the fact that you get a narrator, but you're never in the. And this is kind of a modern a modern thing that I'm used to. But you you get the third person, not not omniscient, but you get the third person narrative. You're never in the heads of the characters. Oh, um, nope. gotcha. You know what I, you know what I'm saying? You don't like that device, yeah. I, I don't like the, hey, I'm a guy, I'm going to tell you a story. And Yoshihida did this, Yoshihida did that, the Lord did this, the Lord did that. Um, it's just very different from picking up a a more modern short story where it's done, you know, it's done from the you know first per- person's per- perspective or multiple perspectives, as opposed to have someone telling you the story. So you're just never in their heads at all. Yeah, um, that's not something I would not want to read an entire book or book of short stories in that form. Mm. 
but it is an interesting i mean it, it is an interesting story i like kind of dipping my toes into japanese literature and and getting a chance to get you know getting some exposure to it yeah i like it i like the i like the style and you see it obviously it's not limited to japanese literature where you have that kind of modality i'm thinking about for um the fisherman where we had a you know that kind of that kind of approach right the story within the story and you know multiple perspectives online right um it's an approach that i i i i appreciate this is and maybe it has to do somewhat I don't know, but there are also stylistically kind of the way it's written. It is a little bit formalistic. Part of that is right. Who is um, telling the story while at the same time trying to protect um, the ma- you know, the Lord. Boy, and is so, he? Because <laughs> yeah, he thinks he doth protest too much at times. <laughs> yeah, because every now and yeah. every now and then he just drops. Oh, he was a great guy too. I yeah. don't know what all these rumors are about. He was right, awesome. Exactly. Great boss. Great boss. Yeah. But I think that's all a part of the, you know, I think that's all a part of the story, as it were, right? And in kind of the approach that he's, um, uh, you know, that he's, that he's taking to telling this, um, telling this tale. So I, I appreciate that it, it's what, a bit, formalistic maybe is the way to think about it but i do enjoy it i think it works very well i think it's a great way to tell this story um and um for a short story i i agree with you i i would have been hard pressed to get all the way through it i think just because it is a little bit burdensome in a lot of ways but i thought it worked really well yeah is the i, I guess it's the I'm being, I'm being uh, told a lot and not shown a lot. This yeah. is the would be the complaint. Now that could be a number of things. That could be cultural. It could be just the style he picked for the short story, or it could be, as you mentioned, um, an author who does like to take um, uh, myth and, and and legend and use them in his stories, and felt that this this was kind of the best approach. To tell kind of like a modern day dark, dark uh, fairy tale. Well, again, I suspect that this is not new. I think this is a fairy tale. I don't know this, but I think it's probably a a fairy tale that he's retelling. Right, right. Kind it, of his his style. So it's it could be, and maybe I'm wrong. I could be completely wrong, but it could be a story that's familiar. Right, that. Um, that he's telling again in his in his style and 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 approach to give it more you know at the time a modernist kind of um, approach to it I, I oh, could man. be wrong about that but that you're telling me it's a remake it's a remake, remake. <laughs> yes all right um, interesting 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 read and really interesting guy the author was a, yeah inter- reading about him was was quite quite uh, quite interesting. Yeah, Murakami ranks him one of the ten great um, authors of that era. Yeah, he definitely seems to be a heavy hitter. Yeah, 
and like I said, the only my only exposure to kind of Japanese written culture was the play version of um, the sailor who fell from grace from grace with the sea, which I I don't really remember all that well. All I do remember is enjoying it, but I couldn't tell you I could I couldn't tell you anything about it. Um, we didn't think this could be an entire podcast, and uh, you, you didn't think it would, could be an entire podcast, and you're right. So I looked for something that uh, it was kind of sort of, you know, similar vein in a way, but a lot, a lot different, but um, more definitely more fun in the, in the same vein as what an artist will what an artist will do for his art. And that was the 1927 short story that appeared in the October edition issue of Weird Tales, Hickman's Model by Howard Phillips Lovecrafts. This interesting. It's written, it published within 10 years of Hellscreen. It it was, and we know Lovecraft did not read Hellscreen. No, 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 no. I'm not suggesting right. Yeah, yeah, I'm not suggesting that at all. But but just it, that this same theme conceit, yeah is yeah is, is utilized in two stories from from roughly the same period it's the same conceit except pickman's model i would put as one of lovecraft's just a pulp story yeah. this is for the pulp magazines now i don't want to go through uh, let's save kind of we can have a discussion about lovecraft one day when we delve into something that's more uh, representative of his legacy because this mm-hmm. really, he, you know, because he's known for that whole cosmicism, uh, you know, kind of eschewing all the gothic tropes, you know, the vampires, the mummies, the werewolves and things like that. And more so going with um, kind of terror Cosmic from the, yeah. yeah, terror from the outside, which really comes down to, um, or from the past. We're, we're small, <laughs> irrelevant, yes. and if and if there were creatures, gods, or aliens, they'd probably you know cons- think of us um, as much as we think of ants, right? And that's where the horror resides. This, however, is just kind of a straightforward weird tales pulp short story. It has been adopted a couple times. I'd never seen an adaptation of this, but Night Gallery did it, and recently. Guillermo del Toro's done a Netflix show called um, "The Cabin of Curiosities." Oh, really? Uh, with, with yeah, with 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 each with um, each show is is a story, so it's kind of like an anthology anthology mm. series. Yeah, I have not yet watched them yet. Now, have you? Did you read? You've read some Lovecrafts. Did, had you read oh, yeah. this one before? I'd not read this one before. Okay. So we got Richard Upton Pickman, who is a Boston artist. Uh, his family originally hails from Salem. He was uh, much like myself. He had been kicked out of the Boston Art Club for his graphic macabre images. Well, and let's, this story- let's, let's be truthful here. You weren't kicked out for your graphic macabre images <laughs> i was uh, i was asked to leave <laughs> and it's interesting too because this story it's not the same setup but we have a narrator who is telling a man named elliot 
we have a narrator named Thurber telling Elliot about the disappearance of Pikmin. Right. And it's done through just Thurber telling Elliot about, you know, what he knew about Pikmin and when he last saw him and what Pikmin was up to. And also Thurber telling Elliot some of the things Pikmin had told Thurber. So it's just kind of this narrative. Um, and it, start, it starts out with Thurber saying, yes, I, <laughs> it just makes me laugh. He's like, yeah, I have a fear of the subways. What's it to you? And right. Then, <laughs> which, which I imagine is probably, you know, not an uncommon fear if, if, if someone has maybe claustrophobia. So maybe it's not as crazy as it sounds, but it's like, hey, wh why all the questions? So I don't like the subways anymore. Leave well, me alone. It's interesting. It's interesting. Um, you know, I was thinking about this when I was reading this story and that that kind of notion of that. Oh, I'm just 27 or whatever it was. And I'm, you know, I'm fear of the underground. I remember reading at some point a short story by somebody who it was, and this was years ago, I don't remember any of the details of it, but it was of a, of a, of the pilot of a plane who flew to the astounding height of, you know, 15,000 feet or something like that above the clouds and came across monsters that, you know, lived, lived amongst the clouds. And it, it's an interesting, you know, I mean, if you cast yourself back into that age, who knows what's underground, right? Oh, I that, don't. As, a normal, <laughs> as, a, as a normal person, right? You would automatically be, yeah, I don't know about digging down there. That may not be a good idea because we don't know what we're going to come. I mean, just, a, you know, it just makes a bit nervous because, you know, there's no sonar, right, that you can use or radar that you can use or other imaging devices to kind of see what's down there before you dig, you dig and see what's there. And, right. And um, I, in everyday life, I could see that just being a little bit nerve wracking in and of itself. I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not terribly squeamish at all, but if I would not want to walk through a subway tunnel for any great distance in the dark, yeah. you know what I mean? With, well, and, yeah. and it's just almost like a, the primal lizard part of the brain, right? Kind of looking over your shoulder, you hear something, the yeah. rats, and it's wet, there's ooze, yeah. there's rats yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah, Thurber's telling Elliot about what he knows about uh, Pikmin and Pikmin's disappearance. So Pikmin's this, I, you get the impression he's this Boston Brahmin, uh, although the family is originally from Salem, who is an artist, but he paints really really macabre subjects and he starts to fall out with his other friends and artist friends over mostly over mostly over what uh what he's painting no one wants to get too close to pikmin after a while you know because they just think he's kind of a he's getting really really weird they do note though that his four times great grandmother was hanged by cotton mather right and so <laughs> Which, yeah, we can get back to that. Um, and he tells, so, so I'm just trying to, you know, so Pikmin tells Thurber, who is the narrator, uh, who is also writing a book on weird art. Um, and that's the term he uses, weird art. Yes. That, yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm 
got to uh, paint this stuff. Like, it uh, can't be all, you know, flowers and daffodils. I want to, I want to kind of get down to, get down to some, some of this really macabre stuff. And Thurber kind of compares his work to like a guy named Henry Fuseli, uh, Gustav Doré, Sidney Syme, and Goya. Yeah, Doré, by the that... way, I have a, I have a, um, a Doré illustrated version of um, in, in the Rhyme of the Ancient of the Ancient. Oh, that's fairly well known. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, they painted. I looked at. I looked most. I had to look up most of them in terms of what what he meant. Yeah, they did some some fairly weird things for the time. Only uh, si- and I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sidney Syme or Simi. He lived into the four nineteen forties. All the other. All these other artists were, you know, 17 into the 1800 type of guys. Yeah. But Goya, I mean, Goya, you could see that Goya has that one painting about with Saturn devouring his children. That must have been pretty yes. outrageous for the time. Yes. <laughs> um, that is it's pretty outrageous now. Yeah. But so he, he says, hey, listen, I was I'm talking to Pikmin and eventually Pikmin's telling me, you know, Pikmin's telling him I want I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go really kind of macabre. And I also, I also got a place in the North end where I paint. Cause I want to, I really want to get into it, you know? And that's, yeah, that at the time is this, is the slum yep. inhabited by, it looks like mostly even back then Italian immigrants, Yep. but it's supposed to be a bad, bad part of town. And Pikmin gets gets an, gets an apartment there. And feel free to jump in at any time, but I just have to say this. Pikmin says, yeah, I got to go where it's really nasty because not everything, um, not everything is appropriate. He doesn't say, he doesn't say Beacon Hill, um, but not everything is appropriate for a place like Beacon Hill. I got to, I really want to get down in the mud and, and the North End's the place to do it. He says, no, nah. Um, not more than three Nordic men have seen my apartment, and I'm yeah. one of them. <laughs> so, so leave it to Lovecraft, right? He's gotta. He's just my gotta man. Go with. So, <laughs> nor I love it. All I can picture is like, like Dag Hammarskjöld saw yeah. it. Yeah, Sven Olsen was there. Leif Erikson. <laughs> Jesus, this guy. Uh, but we can talk well, he more picks about the North End also because it, it is the it is the old part, right? It and is. So the the notion is that ah, there are there are things here, spaces here, you know, that are the the oldest you know, part of the town. oldest part of yeah, the oldest part yes. of town, right? Exactly. Because he does mention, you know, you, you just don't have the memories in 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 back bay which is interesting because it wasn't all that long before that back bay was a bay and they pretty much filled it in right so, so compared to the north end it was a relatively new neighborhood so um he says hey he tells uh Pickman, says to thurber hey let's i'll show you you want to go and thurber's into it yeah kind of can't he can't help himself what so they go to the north end and he doesn't have uh, Thurber has no idea where he is. He says we pass yeah. Greenhouse Street, but we we go past Constitutional Wharf, but we take a left and a right, and I've never it's the dirtiest, oldest alleyway in this you know I've ever right. seen. But what is 
what is uh, Pikmin painting? Pikmin is painting werewolves. I thought they were ghouls. <laughs> were they ghouls? Ghouls? I thought they were werewolves. Because they had dog-like or wolf wolfish features. I think people oh, say no, they're no, ghouls. Oh, no, no, no. You're talking about in the, in, the, in the four room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think... I don't know. That they were all... You mentioned this earlier. I thought that's where you're going. I had the impression he was painting werewolves. Really? Oh, because all the commentary says that it's ghouls because they're feeding on humans. Yeah, well, uh, werewolves do that too, I think. Yeah, but there's no such thing as werewolves. We're talking about no, ghouls. Regardless. Fair enough. So <laughs> I feel like I've been like monopolizing all this. So tell, do you recall <laughs> no, no, no. what no, some no. of the paintings are? Well, he goes uh, not the not the details, but he goes into the to the I guess what is it first floor, right? And he represses a scream. <laughs> he sees the he sees I love love sees the uh, when he sees the paint you know initially sees these paintings um, because they're so horrific and they're these ghoulish or or werewolf like critters. Right. Um, in, um, and uh, it really, but it's kind of like the appetizer. <laughs> because then he gets taken down. Into, I can't remember. I, oh, sorry to interrupt. Your sound quality yeah. is really bad. Oh, sorry. Is this any better? Sure. Getting a lot of stuff. Better. I'll, I'll, I'll not move. Maybe that'll help. But uh, I can't remember the. He gets invited down into the basement. I don't know whether there was a conceit or whether it was just. Oh, there's more stuff down here. What's the studio? That's where his current modern work is. Oh, okay. Right. So they go down the studio they kind of go by an old like well um and pass through that room or through that hallway with this well in it and go into the studio and this time he um uh he can't repress the screen but he sees which is a painting of a of one of these ghoul-like slash werewolf creatures, except one that is more horrible formed and gargantuan than um, anything that he's that he's seen. And it, it's eating a baby? Yeah, so I, I don't know if that one's eating a baby, but um, boy, getting a lot of movement and feedback from your end. Really? Yeah. Let me ah, try one thing. That's that's better. This be- that's better. That's better. Yeah, ah, it's perfect. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, Sorry. um, I everyone says they're ghouls. I'll tell you why. Because you know, werewolves, uh, full moon, don't exist. One, yeah. Once a month type of thing. But yeah. these creatures, he sees one is um. There's a group of these things. And you're right, though. They are kind of dog-like um, in yes. the facial features. But they're standing around eating something, presumably a a dead human. And but but 
in the group of these creatures is like a little human kid. And then oh, that's the, right, that's right, that's right. Sorry, yes. Sir. And then yes, there's yes, the yes. picture of the Puritan family where every person in the family it's like a 1600s inside a Puritan home, um, sitting down to eat, saying grace or whatever, and all the all the family members look angelic except there's one that looks like one of these dog creatures like they re- right like like they replaced them yes and you, so you're supposed to get the impression that i forgot the body snatcher element yeah the creatures <laughs> the creatures become this through i think devouring people slowly because they also mentioned that i think Thurber mentions that pikmin had physically seemed to be seemed to have changed Yes, right. Um, but so so they go into the um, his where he is actually working on a current painting. There's a little there's a photograph in the upper left hand corner of this huge canvas, and he's oh that's a photo. Pickman says that's a photo I use for background stuff rather than running out and and painting right. background all the time because a lot of the scenes are done in um, cemeteries. Right. Like Cops Hill, Burying Ground, and all these places. And then <laughs> there is, um, and, and, it, and I think it's important to note how um, Thurber just describes the realism of everything. Yes. It just, I don't, some artists can paint, but he didn't, there was, this was no trick. This was no shadow, no lighting. He just had, there was something innate in this guy. He was brilliant that he could paint and show such realism of these, like, evil creatures. And and that's kind of like, he emphasizes that over and over again. But there's there's paintings, like, it shows these creatures emerging from a subway tunnel to go kind of feed on someone. Um, there is the picture he has of the the Puritan family. And my, my favorite though is, um, and this is why I think even though this was, you know, a Paul Poor story that this is really very tongue in cheek was, was the one painting that showed a bunch of these creatures standing around looking at a well-known Boston tourism guide that says um, Longfellow, Lowell and Holmes are, are buried in Mount Auburn Cemetery and the creatures are laughing like they're not really buried there because they ate them. If this was to be scary or not but I just started laughing like is this, a, this is like a comedy because there is one point while he's well Pickman is explaining his latest work to to Thurber. They hear something in the other room where the well is. And and Pickman goes into the room, closes the door, and you hear kind of like boxes falling, things getting yes. smashed. And, and then he, a pistol shot or two. And, yes. and, then, and, then, and then Pickman comes back in the room kind of like... Uh, Damn rats. Rats, rats. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a Abbott and Costello scene. That that did make me that's the, the, the painting you described it making me laugh, but that 
make me laugh because I was I was reading it and I was kind of like oh this is kind of creepy and then all that stuff I was kind of like wait a minute <laughs> I know you think crash bang smash and he just comes up you picture him cutting coming back into the room straightening his tie he's kind of <laughs> put, putting the gun back yeah it's just rats well <laughs> you know but it spooks it spooks uh, Thurber so much that he had been about to look at the photograph but all this unfolded and they run out of there. They they get out of there. They go back home, and that's the last time he sees Pikmin. And um, then we learn I why. I, I thought he did look at the photograph. He looks at it at the very end when he's home. Oh, at the ver- oh, because he's he's inadvertently. That's right. Yes, yes. He right. inadvertently right. took it because yeah, right. he, the um commotion occurs and as he was just, he's, as he was kind of flipping it up and and he he yeah. All the commotion, he kind of stuck it part of his right. reaction to everything that was going on. Right? Yes. They leave. He doesn't see. He's back home. He doesn't see um, Pikmin again. But then he tells Elliot why the why the creatures look so realistic, and he says, um, "You know, it was the photograph. They were painted from life. They were right. painted from life." Dun, dun, dun. Yes. I love to. At one point, Thurber tells Elliot. I, I, I'm not squeamish or anything. I, I'm what the common man would call hard boiled. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and you, you, you knew me in France. You, you, you know, I was in the shit in France. You saw me in action. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know if we're. Sp- I, I guess we're supposed to think that Thurber is really this like tough guy. So when he screams at the painting, that you know, that's how that's how horrific the paintings are. That right, it's tough guy scream, but. Part of me wonders is like, is Thurber over overcompensating with the eh, yeah they call me hard boiled? I was in France, you know. And you find out later on, like you were nineteen ten, you know. Yeah, you, you were you were just like Jagcore in the back lines. You, come on, you weren't in the trenches. But I like this story. It's a quick hit. It's not indicative of I think what people think of when they think of Lovecraft. Uh, it's completely. Um, yeah, you, you see the you see the ending a mile away. Uh, you see the ending a mile away. It is it is typical of kind of a lot of the tropes that he uses, right? The right story from somebody who had a friend who went crazy because he uncovered you know evil darkness from the cosmos, right? Kind of thing. It's it's a you know a set of plot devices. I, I love the idea. Right, that that kind of twist, which is you know, it's not a painting; it's photographs, right, kind of thing. I, I, you know, I like those little twists. I, I really got to say, I did not think it was executed particularly well. Um, no, it's one of his weaker. Yeah, yeah, I have problems with a lot of his stuff, and this is, I think, yeah. one of the weaker ones, but it's accessible. Yeah. It's absolutely accessible, short read, uh, much shorter than Hell Screen. Um, and, um, you know, there's, there is a certain degree of pleasure in reading those um, Lovecraft stories because of the descriptions of, it, it's, it's almost like, uh, um, um, what, it, I, I guess it's a, the, the, the references to the, to the, that in which he lives, right, and all the things, I really liked a lot. Like, I like the description of Boston, I like his description of kind of as being this kind of 
you know, old, potentially ancient place, right, that no one really quite knows anymore what's there except for, you know, these, you know, <laughs> the, the, uh, the non-Scandinavian <laughs> who live there. Um, Places where know, Nordic those... men don't go. <laughs> exactly. He's, it, those things that he, I think he, right, his writing is really good at laying that canvas and he, you know, sometimes falls short on plot like that. And, and here it's the things like, you know, when he's repressing a scream at the paintings and then he describes what the paintings are and you're kind of like, really something you would repress a scream about? <laughs> kind of things. It and is, it is kind of, you do have problems like, have you ever seen a painting that, I mean, short of a painting showing like, Ted Cruz and Jerry Falwell in bed together. Is there any painting that is actually going to make you scream? Yeah, right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's, it's so a it's, tough... It kind of falls flat that way. I, I think, and it's weird too, because I think the story would have been better if he'd left off that kind of, you know, it was, <clears throat> it was so cosmically horror, horrible that it made me scream. And it was just, oh, he painted these really just kind of disturbing pictures of all this horrible stuff going on and then discovering that he painted it all from real life because that would be horrible enough you don't need this extra layer of it somehow being you know so cosmically horrible right right um, it would have been horrible in i found these ghouls or werewolves and um you know was painting their you know gleeful you know of humankind um from real life. Well, too, if you look at if you if you go on the computer and look at some of the works done by the artists that are mentioned, and you compare them to, you know, the expressionists or the impressionists, you know, people would be weirded out by seeing something mm -hmm. by Doré or yeah. a certain some of Goya's paintings. You know, there's you know, there was a time when um, it's kind of I, it's, it's hard to. To, for us to wrap our heads around this, but didn't the first performance of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring cause a riot? Yes. <laughs> Just, you know, there was a riot, you know, at a Metallica concert last night. Oh, there was a riot at the Stravinsky concert, you know, the Rite of Spring because, you know, people were so up in arms over, it, you know, it's, it's this, it's a bizarre thing, but you could see, you could see some of these paintings walking in and being like, oh, I'm used to, um, you know, where's the where's the outdoor cafe painting? Yeah, and then I get this um, Saturn eating his children painting yeah. by well, Goya. I mean, it's the we've talked about this one, so it's like like uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. I remember when I not, read it. Not scary, <laughs> right? Saying to myself, "Okay, what, what's going on here?" and to a certain degree, Frankenstein, although that I, I think kind of falls into a slightly different category. And, and, it, and it's because we don't have the same sense of social order in rigor, right? And, and we live in a much, much, much more permissive um, world where, you know, those breaches are not particularly meaningful, right? No, no. Uh, and so... We just we are not reading the stories in the way that 
um, you know, these authors. And I think this is Absolutely. true for, for the health screen stories. Absolutely. We just don't have the cultural reference points. You know, we have them more so for Lovecraft, but, uh, but, but we still don't have the cultural reference points that he's tapping into with a lot of this stuff. And so it's easy, I think, for us to sit back and criticize a little bit and kind of laugh about some of the quaintness of it. But it was not, you know, quite so quaint. No, I agree. And there's stories, there's legitimate stories of, I mean, I love, I love a lot of the classic Universal Monster movies from the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not scary at all, but they're, they're, there were newspaper accounts of, you know, Frankenstein in particular of people fleeing the theaters halfway through. Right. You know, and right. today, so like today, I don't, I don't want to see what would cause me to flee a theater. Yeah. You know, because we want, you can watch horror movies, you can watch this, you can, you know, and, there was a point in time you could watch surgeries on TV. You know, I forget what the channel was, but they would show actual surgeries. So whether it's kind of like gross, disgusting stuff or really disturbing stuff, you can see it all the time. So the thing that would make me flee or make me scream, I don't want running around my head, you know? Right. Yes. But I think it is. It's, 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 it's cultural and it's, it's era specific. Yes. So, um, Mount Auburn Cemetery, though, that is that's where, um, you know, Holmes, Lowell, and Longfellow weren't really buried. That was making the making the creatures laugh. Mm. And but that's kind of that was the cemetery. Just uh, that was the cemetery to be buried in right. back then. Um, even today, Edwin Booth, um, the great actor and the brother mm-hmm. of. Uh, John Wilkes, Charles Bullfinch was buried there. Mary Baker Eddy, Justice Felix Frankfurter, Buckminster Fuller, Winslow Homer, just about all the lodges. Abraham Maslow, Arthur Schlesinger, B.F. Skinner, I.F. Stone, all of them were buried at um, Mount Auburn Cemetery, which is kind of on the Cambridge, Watertown, town line. It's not technically in Boston, but it's right there. It's interesting because I, I, um, it is just came into my head. We were up in Garrison, New York, which is just north of Peaksville, yeah. New York, on the Hudson sure. Valley, and um, there's an old church. We had just gotten our, our Christmas tree. This old church, and you know, we, we kind of up on a hill a little bit, and so we just, but this was like you know, the old cemeteries and all that. And lo and behold, the first cemetery that uh, the first headstone that we saw was 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 my last, which is kind of bizarre because you don't. You know, my life seemed a little bit, a little bit unusual. But um, what we discovered is that it's the all of the fishes, you know, Hamilton fish, yeah, Hamilton fish, yeah, yeah, Hamilton sure. fish Jr., Hamilton the third, the fourth, right, the whole family. And so I saw all of their, all of their gravestones there. Which was, it's funny. Which was kind of neat. Yeah. So that's the place to be buried, I guess. Um, or be near the fishes. <laughs> um. Yeah, I like I like this story. It was it was short. It was quick, and, and it just uh, was kind of like the pulp, a com- you know, it, it was a pulp companion piece to Hell Screen, just what an artist will do for his craft. Yeah, um, yeah. But a much a much more fun, absurd, uh, fun, absurd story. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's that's all I have. So we had Hell Screen. We had Pickman's model. 
two short stories, kind of fun, uh, each interesting in their own 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 uh, way. Now the Cotton Mather thing, yes, um, it's funny. I like the line that that um, Serb. Uh, it's Pikmin talking to so. <laughs> It is kind of, it's not as nested as some of Lovecraft stories will get, but it is what Thurber is telling Elliot some stuff, but then you also get um, Thurber telling Elliot what, what Pikmin told him. Mm-hmm. And it's all this like second and third hand stuff, but he does drop the line about, you know, uh, my, uh, this is Pikmin says, my four times grandmother hanged on Gallows Hill by Cot- with Cotton Mather looking on that alum but she could she could tell you some stuff about you know uh, of what's out there and then he it drops on about cotton mather the sanctimonious cotton mather a mather afraid someone may succeed in kicking free of this cage of monotony <laughs> <laughs> and the one the one line i did like was he says um i could show you the house uh mather lived in and I can show you one he was afraid to go in. That's yes. a, that's it. That's a good little. That's it. Yeah. That's a that's a good little line. But yeah, Cotton Mather, the um, the seventeenth uh, uh, century famous divine, did witness a couple of the hangings in Salem on Gallows Hill, but he was not directly involved with the witch trials and. And did write a letter saying that the this he was a progressive for the time because he wrote a letter to the court saying they should be very careful when they use spectral evidence during the trials. <laughs> spectral evidence was evidence that only the witness could see. So it'd be one of these one of these preteen or teenage girls saying, um, there she is in the back of the court, you know. On a broom, up in the rafters, staring at me. She's hurting me. She's hurting me. They look around, don't see it. But it's like, ah, objection, Your Honor. Overruled. Overruled. And that would literally convict people. Right. (laughs) Cotton Mather was not against spectral evidence, but he he cautioned that it should be used carefully. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't, this is the whole idea of, I don't understand why other people just weren't, like the defendants weren't, hey, I, I judge, I, I see your wife. She's up in the, in the rafters pointing at me, cackling. She comes to me <laughs> right. in the middle and her vision comes to me and she attacked. It, it's just this absurd, absurd thing. And, um, and, you know, of course, Cotton Mather was, again, uh, tangentially involved, but not actually. A lot of people mistake him for being like one of the judges, or um, you know, more involved in in the witch trials. The person whose great grandfather or grandfather was was great great or great 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 was Nathaniel Hawthorne. Was uh, his his ancestor was one of the judges. And speaking of that, so the one last thing I had was. I'm not a huge fan of these when I do lit literature. I'm not a huge fan of these mid to late 1800s Boston Brahmin transcendentalist writers like Thoreau. Thoreau bores the hell out of me. Longfellow was a poet. He did the song of Hiawatha, Paul Revere's Ride. 
He was the first American to translate the Divine Comedy. James Russell Lowell was a poet and diplomat. And of course, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. was a physician and poet. They all knew each other. Most of them hung out. Hawthorne was in that group. Most of them were kind of the Boston Brahmin types who, who had had jobs. Longfellow was a professor. They had jobs, but they wrote. Um, not really a big fan of that type of stuff, but interesting group at an interesting time. Um, yeah, that's about all I have. I don't think I have. Yeah, I don't have any questions for you. These were pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a sidestep from from kind of what falls in our usual category. I'm glad that we uh, I'm glad that we dipped our toe into Japanese literature. Yeah, um, yeah, it was interesting, uh, especially if, you know a nice small bite for really my first my first entry. Um, quickly now, we're um, I'm running up against a prior commitment. Um, you watching or reading anything interesting lately? We haven't done this in a while. Yeah, I know we've fallen, which is too bad. But uh, yes, so um, I've started to delve into the world of Philip K. Dick. All I right. Read, uh, Ubik novel it is fairly famous, and I um, have a I have do and do Android's dream of electricity and the man in the high castle. But uh, I've also started to pour through um, a collection of, of short stories uh, as well. And um, really interesting writer. I mean, really, really interesting ideas. His, 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 one of the things that is fairly common in, in, in his work is that, central, that sense of not really being sure you are dealing with. Um, Was he? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think he was really <laughs> reflected his state of mind but um really enjoying it i mean very you know solid writer short stories have kind of a like, kind of feel to them sometimes um uh of course you know similar time period so uh you know that's not not but uh yeah some some good stuff there i hate philip k dick he he hit on my grandmother one time. I don't, I don't really want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I really don't know him very well. I, I don't. <laughs> she may have been crazier than he was. Um, uh, you know, I watched The Man in the High Castle. I started to read it. It's so different. And I found the, 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 the novel version of The Man in the High Castle extremely dull. Um, but... I haven't explored Philip K. Dick. I know he's, he's a lot of people consider him, you know, um, really one of the, you know, one of the, not the top of the line, but a, you know, a big influential author. I think he's influential um, because of his ideas and, yes. and kind of the central themes that he works. Very interesting sometimes. I have not, I've been really lazy since Christmas time. Uh, I've been rewatching some things. Nothing I really want to talk. I've been watching uh, a series called Suits. About uh, it's a it is a comic book show about a New York City law firm. I mean, I think 
a lot of it is supposed to be over the top and tongue in cheek. It is over the top, um, but nonetheless entertaining for some kind of mindless, uh, disposable entertainment. Um, I mean, the law firm says they only hire, they only take and hire, they only take interns from Harvard and only hire people from Harvard, which of course is, is absolutely, absolutely ludicrous. Um, they get a case in and they're having a deposition about 10 minutes later. Uh, you know, it's all kinds of stuff like yeah. that, but there are, some of it is kind of tongue in cheek. It kind of knows what it is. It's not trying to be a realistic picture of, um, law firm life and no one would really want to see I for law one firm life. yeah like I, yeah being a partner in a New York law in a international law firm um yeah boring yeah, you can't. as all get up <laughs> well you know and I'm a litigator and everyone thinks that's exciting and if I show if I did a if I did a, a five a five episode series of what it's like to be a litigator four and a half would be paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but, um, but if you go into it thinking that it's just over the top kind of entertaining nonsense, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. And good background stuff. I'm on season two already. And there's episodes I, I, I probably missed 50 or 60% of these episodes, but I can go straight to the next one and I'm really not missing out on anything. Right. Right. But that's, that's kind of the show I'm watching now while I search for something that, that may have a little more meat on the bone. All right, man. Um, That's it. That's all I have. I'm not sure what we're going to do next. We've got to find a movie. I think I would like to pick the movie. You would like to pick the movie. I would like to pick the movie. Okay. Didn't you pick the last movie? I don't know. Like, what was the last? Was the last Big one Trouble, Big Trouble in Little China? China? Yeah. Then, then yeah. go ahead and 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 do your. I'm sorry. Don't do your worst. Is I'm sure. I'm gonna really, revisit really summer school. I'm gonna revisit summer school. <laughs> I think it's it's worthy of a, a Are we second episode. Night of, the, Night of the Comet in three parts. <laughs> 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 um, I'll think of something. We'll do something. All right, All man. Right. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. Signing off. <laughs>